your Locked On The Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, thank you for making Locked On Winnipeg Jets your first listen of the day every day. If you enjoy what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, Odyssey, and YouTube. Doing so is completely free and ensures you never miss another episode. On tonight's podcast, I wanted to talk about a couple of things. We'll recap some of Winnipeg's uh, shenanigans from the game against the San Jose Sharks later in this episode. But the first thing that I thought would be worth bringing up are the uh, Jack Eichel trade rumors and stuff that are currently floating around. And they definitely center the Buffalo Sabres and the, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. After that, we'll check in on a few contracts from around the league. There were some major free agent signings or extensions, so obviously a lot has been going on with the league over the past couple of days. And we haven't done like a recent news roundup in a while. So let's start off with the uh, the Jack Eichel situation. This one continues to be a really big, outstanding issue for the Buffalo Sabres. While Buffalo currently is, is really winning a lot of games on the ice, off the ice they're still dealing with this whole situation where... Eichel needs like a specific kind of surgery, according to outside consultation. The team disagrees with his assessment, and it has been one of the primary sticking points in his whole trade request. Obviously, this surgery is going to sideline him for several months, which means that whoever even trades for him won't have access to Eichel's play until probably closer to the playoffs. I don't exactly know what the timeline of recovery for this is. I don't know if it's like three, four, or five months Uh, For Eichel's sake, you would hope it's a lot shorter and that he's able to be healthier sooner, but I don't think that that is the case. And the longer they delay it, the the less likely it is that he'll be playing many NHL games during the regular season. So, you know, whoever is trying to bring him in, they're obviously thinking more about the long-term impacts than the immediate future. And this is kind of where it gets interesting for Vegas. The Knights are a pretty good team but they have some notable defensive deficiencies. And when you think about what it is they could exchange for Eichel, I don't really know that they would be able to give up anyone um, from the forward unit in particular that would be of a a comparable value for Eichel. You could look at some higher-end prospects, but I think a lot of the value for the Knights could be found on their defense, which is currently languishing. But uh, even still, with some of the poor defensive results as a team, there are some players that stand out a lot. Obviously, Nicholas Hag is probably one of their top defenders. Shea Theodore, is also really good and a couple of those guys could easily be moved as part of the deal the thing with Eichel is that you're trading for a franchise center somebody who you know at his prime and peak is nearly unstoppable but you don't really know where he is right now post-surgery he might not be the same player he used to be I mean it's it's possible that the uh, the recovery process and rehab process maybe takes a couple of weeks Um, And the risk is that longer term, he may never quite capture the lofty heights that he achieved when he was a Sabre. And then you look at his cap hit of $10.5 and you think, well, Vegas doesn't really have a lot of room to maneuver, so they would have to drop some salary somewhere. And they'd also have to give uh, equal prospects or really good NHLers the other ways. And I'm not really sure how they plan to do that without hitting their existing core. If they remove one of their top defenders... Obviously, that blue line is getting really thin really quickly. I know that Petrangelo is still very good, 
but already they've lost Nate Schmidt. If they lose one of Theodore or Hag, it gets really thin. I'm sure the Knights will look to exchange other assets beyond their blue line, but, you know, maybe the Sabres are going to push for that back end anyways. The The Sabres have had a really good defensive structure this year, and if they could add a really skilled puck mover on the back end, somebody who could contribute on the power play and at even strength, I'm sure Buffalo would be thrilled with that. The Jack Eichel trade isn't the only stuff that's currently in the works right now. There have been a number of other transactions from around the league, one of the biggest ones is Morgan Riley resigning for eight years at $7.5 million per season. This contract is kind of interesting because I think a lot of people have very mixed feelings on Riley. Morgan is one of those offense-first D who's maybe not so attuned in his own end, but certainly gives you a lot of even strength and power play offense at the other end, which for the Leafs is probably good. I think the only question with this contract is how he ages out, because he is in his late 20s, so it's not like he's a spring chicken anymore, and if he starts to kind of decline over the next couple of years, that cap hit and the term could look ugly. I don't think he's going to fall off that quickly, and he still provides a lot of value in the immediate future, but this is one of those deals where it's kind of a little bit risky. You could argue that the cap hit, given his contract and his free agency status, is actually not that bad. You know, a lot of D got really overpaid. I still don't know if I would really want to be paying $7.5 for 8 years. And it's kind of one of those situations where you're darned if you do and darned if you don't. Riley has been a pivotal contributor for Toronto for the past several years. He continues to be one of the uh, the leading point getters on the back end among all defenders from around the league. And uh, obviously he's a uh, a really big core piece for the back end of their offense. So I could see the argument of why they would want to keep him. I'm not 100% sure if that value that he brings is going to eventually be outweighed by the stuff that are drawbacks with him, but they technically could have done worse. So I'm not going to, you know, harsh this deal 100% yet. I think for, for Riley and what he brings, the contract itself isn't so bad. I just wonder about the long term, and certainly with Toronto's future kind of being up in the air, you have to wonder when this team is really thinking of making moves to compete. You know, they have a stable core as it is right now. It just hasn't really been able to take the next step, and if they want to elevate their play and ascend to another level... I don't know if this core is going to be the one to do it. They need to figure out, you know, which of these guys, especially the more veteran players, are really part of this team long term. You know, is Tavares going to stay around forever? What about Marner? You know, all these guys are, are playing really important supporting roles, but maybe not to the degree that they're being paid for. One of the other interesting contracts was Ross Johnston signing for another four years at $4.4 million, so, you know, just a little over $1 million per season. I don't know why the Islanders keep handing him four-year deals. It just seems like every so often they sign him for, for almost forever, and I don't really understand why. It's, a, uh, it's an interesting philosophy, to put it lightly. We also have Zach Whitecloud signing for six years at $16.5 million. I believe that grades out around $2.5 or $2.75 million per season. White Cloud has been a pretty decent contributor on uh, Vegas's back end. I don't know if he's like the kind of player that you really sign for six years, but if you're looking for, you know, a, a second pairing or an okay third pairing defender, I guess you could do a lot worse. I don't know about signing players like this for long terms, but maybe they see something in him that, you know, long term, this guy is actually prepared to take on an elevated role. I haven't seen a ton of White Cloud, so I can't speak to it beyond what I've heard about him and, and some of the stuff that I've seen him do from brief game footage and whatnot. So maybe he really is worth this contract. It'll be interesting to see how it pans out because Vegas's blue line is probably going to see a lot of change over over the next couple of seasons. 
Those are uh, most of the interesting and perhaps surprising transactions. If anything new pops up over the next couple of weeks that's actually interesting, we'll talk about it on the show and give you any updates from around the league. For now, though, it is time to transition to talking about Winnipeg versus uh, San Jose, which just finished a few minutes ago. Before we check in on that game, though, I thought you should hear a little bit about why DirecTV is your best option for all your TV streaming needs. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV all together. It's called DirecTV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part? There's no annual contract whatsoever. So get rid of that clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at DirecTV.com. That's DirecTV.com. Stop waiting and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. Compatible with device required. Content varies by package. Go to DirecTV.com for more information. Hello, friends, and welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. Thanks for making Locked on Jets your first listen of the day every day. It is now time to move on to uh, San Jose versus the Jets, and if you stayed up for this game, I am sorry for you. It, was, uh, it wasn't good, is how I'm going to put it. They were actually down Carlson, Couture, Middleton, Dahlin, Simek, Vlasic, and Cogliano, plus head coach Bob Bugner. Mostly due to COVID, I think Couture might have been a slightly different issue, but, you know, about a third of the lineup was out with COVID. They all tested positive, and so they had to go into protocol just a few minutes before the game started, which, yeah, postponement for the Jets, and uh, certainly a later start time than anticipated. And then the game actually started, and San Jose immediately pressured the Jets. We've all seen that when Winnipeg deals with teams that counter on odd man rushes, the Jets just do not defend it well. They don't even defend it well when they're just facing normal, even man situations, right? The Jets don't deny zone entries that often, and uh, once opponents set up like long-term zone possessions, Winnipeg's defensive structure either becomes really static and, and conservative, or they just completely collapse and it's absolute havoc inside the, uh, the slot area. The latter tended to be the case tonight, with Winnipeg's defense getting slaughtered just about every turn. I mean, like, the Jets could create at the other end and actually had a couple of really good looks on Aiden Hill throughout the game, but for the most part, it felt like it was San Jose that was the more dangerous of the teams. Curiously, the Sharks mostly got uh, all of the power plays. I really don't recall Winnipeg getting even one or two power plays this game. I'm sure there was one somewhere, I just don't remember it. But by and large, uh, it was San Jose that was actually getting the extra man advantage, so not really thrilled with the officiating. I felt like the Sharks got away with a lot, but it's kind of whatever. You know, the Jets just have to play better no matter what. And I felt like tonight, we really didn't get anywhere near what we should be. I know that this team is struggling with a lot of issues right now, um, and Blake Wheeler actually came back. He was on the third line for a bit with Veselainen and Lowry, and for a time he was actually doing okay in that role. But then Tomasz Hurdle scored, and uh, later in the game with the Jets kind of needing a bit of a spark, uh, you know, Paul Maurice decided to put Wheeler back on the top line. The unit of Cops, Stastny, and Wheeler was basically ineffective for the entire game, which is more or less what the rest of the lines were like too. The only line that I thought was consistently good was again the Pierre-Luc Dubois line. I'll say it now, I have a strong feeling PLD will be the team's MVP throughout most of this season. If he continues to play like this throughout the rest of the year, I mean, he's just been an absolute monster and a force on the ice. It's kind of depressing that we don't have more of him because... The rest of the team was honestly kind of sad to watch. 
I know that the team has done a, a decent amount of traveling recently, and certainly going through California has been a bit of a meat grinder so far for this team, but I'm still kind of disappointed in how poorly they performed. I thought against the Sharks it was a decent time to redeem their last defeat to this team, and instead Winnipeg just struggled to do much of anything. They still created some decent looks in the slot area, but aside from that, I really didn't feel like San Jose was ever really threatened. The first two periods just really didn't see the Jets pushing all that hard. I thought that they were second to almost every board battle, puck recovery, what have you. There were lazy turnovers, there were bad passes, and I, I just don't really understand why this team constantly looks like it's unprepared. This has been the case for years now, um, and at some point you have to ask, why does the coaching staff never seem to be under pressure? The Jets are just nowhere near good enough for what they should be, and I feel like this continues to be a trend with a roster that has a pretty decent amount of talent. The defense has been atrocious. It's actually at times uh, reminiscent of what it was when we had, like, Lucas Abisa playing in the top four. The forward lines are mostly functional, but, you know, every now and then you see some really silly stuff like Blake Wheeler going back on the first line again for some reason. Uh, Zvechnikov got demoted off the second line. I don't really know why. I didn't feel like he was having that bad of a game, but maybe Maurice differed in his assessment of things. So this team, it's just uh, it's just more mediocrity. I mean, we're used to this by now. Every time we watch the Jets, I think a lot of us have just come to expect averageness at best, um, occasionally decent, but usually we, we sort of think this team's just not going to be all that good. This was the first season that I felt, you know, some level of optimism coming into uh, the start, and I felt like the Jets were going to be significantly better than they were last year, and instead the Jets are just slightly better, but it's not enough for me to really feel like it makes a difference. I felt like one of the only players I was really impressed with tonight was Connor Hellebuck. I felt like Helly was making a lot of really good saves, and while he does struggle with rebound control and that can often be a, uh, a serious issue with the way that this team defends, I felt like he still did enough to clean up his own mistakes. He was smart to some really difficult shooting angles. He made a number of difficult saves. I thought he was one of the top performers on the night. Um, and if it was not for Dubois, he probably would have been my Jets player of the game. But the team in front of him just kind of took a bit of a poo, you know. I mean, I wasn't really expecting them to be amazing, but, you know, at least substandard or something would have been nice. The Jets were fast and loose, but overall it just didn't really feel like they were all that dangerous, except for a couple of key occasions where maybe uh, Stastny was on the doorstep for a good tap-in, Connor was prowling below the goal line or something. You could see in some moment-to-moment -moment play the Jets looking dangerous here and there, but overall just a really lackluster effort, and uh, I was curious to know what would happen in the third period, and if the Jets would be able to kind of snap themselves out of it, but I wasn't holding my breath, because let's be honest, the Jets have generally been pretty underwhelming, even with some of the wins. We'll check in with how the Jets have finished out this game in just a little bit, but before we move on, here's why Built Bar should be the only protein bar you turn to when you need that extra boost. Are you someone who loves protein bars? Are you tired of all of your favorite protein bars tasting like ash and dirt? Maybe you're ready for a change. And as a fellow protein bar appreciator, I can tell you that Built Bar is your best alternative. It's the only protein bar that tastes more like a candy bar, with a 100% chocolate exterior and a soft, chewy interior. It comes in several delicious flavors like salted caramel, orange, cookies and cream, German chocolate, and so many other great flavors. Built Bar often releases very special limited edition, limited quantity flavors that once they're gone, they're gone for good, so stay tuned to their social media platforms and their website to make sure you never miss another flavor. As delicious as Built Bars are, they're even better for you, with most bars clocking in at around 130 to 180 calories, 4 to 5 grams of net carbs, and 70 to 18 grams of protein. 
Built Bars are perfect for every lifestyle, whether you're looking to maintain or lose weight. Placing your order couldn't be easier. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 at checkout for 15% off at Built.com. Place your order today for the best tasting protein bar on the market. Hello friends and welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are closing out tonight with some remaining thoughts on Winnipeg versus San Jose. And, uh... Well, the Jets actually finally did score a goal. It, it, it came in like the last couple of minutes of the game thanks to a great power drive by Pierre-Luc Dubois and then a nice little pass off from Ehlers who then found Kyle Connor on the doorstep. All Connor had to do was just tap at home and we were golden. It then allowed Winnipeg to force overtime and earn a point that they really did not deserve. And then, of course, the Jets, being the Jets, took a penalty after a really crappy start to the period. And uh, naturally, San Jose scored. And just like that, the Jets only walked out with one point. Listen, it's one more point than they deserved. I thought that the team played really poorly tonight. um, And I was honestly just disappointed. Uh, It's not really surprising. And I don't really get upset when the Jets lose anymore. I think the last few years... Winnipeg has been mediocre to the point where I don't really have like an emotional reaction to it, I guess. I'm just sort of numb to the Jets being kind of crappy. But despite these wins against these Pacific Division teams, you have to wonder what exactly the course of this team is going to be. None of these wins have been particularly easy, and it's just like, is this team actually for real? Are they are they actually going to play like this the rest of the year? If Winnipeg doesn't course correct soon, I mean, it's going to be a really tough slog into the uh, postseason run. I'm watching this team and I'm not really seeing any signs to be particularly optimistic about. Right now, Winnipeg is kind of a one-line team, and it's not like the other lines aren't doing anything whatsoever. It's more like the contributions are maybe a little bit more modest. I think the cop line has been decent at scoring, but then you put Wheeler up there, and uh, suddenly that line cannot move anymore, so that unit kind of becomes null. And then you've got the Dubois line that has really been carrying the load. Honestly, this is why I kind of have Dubois as the current MVP of the team, and maybe he will be throughout the rest of the season. His ability to sort of drive play down the middle, create space for his line mates, open up shooting and passing lanes, and just seemingly do everything plus scoring a few nice goals, it's it's gotten this team through some really bad slumps. Without Shifley, this team just really looks kind of dead in the water when Dubois is off the ice. It's not like the Lowry line doesn't have moments where it's been bright, but overall, it's just pretty lackluster, and it's kind of bad because this team is facing mostly rebuilding squads. Even without Wheeler and Shifley in the lineup, this team should have the talent to outmatch most of their opponents, and yet... All of these teams have pushed the Jets to the brink. It took some extremely fluky goals and a Magic Ehlers snipe for the Jets to beat uh, Anaheim the other night. Even their win against the Preds was kind of fraught with danger because they just kept conceding on the penalty kill. So this Jets team, I don't really know what to make of it, I guess. I feel like it's a lot more mediocre than I was expecting. I thought the Jets might be like a little bit struggling out of the gates, but I don't think I anticipated it to last this long and to be against teams that are just really bad. The Sharks really had to dress a bunch of guys from the San Jose AHL affiliates in the Barracuda, so I don't really know that the Jets should be super proud of only getting a point here. Winnipeg should have had both points and done it in a pretty dominant fashion, and yet the Jets basically got smacked around for most of the game. If Winnipeg thinks playing like five minutes a night is enough to get through against teams that are probably at the bottom of the barrel, it's not. The Sharks, for as bad as they can be, have also shown that they have some really competent, you know, rapid counters and stuff that put the Jets under a lot of pressure. They're not a team that you can just take lightly, and yet Winnipeg continues to play like they don't really care, and I'm not really surprised by it. I, I mean, this this start to the season has been pretty chaotic, to put it lightly. 
I think a lot has happened around the team, and certainly I'm sure some of that is impacting the guys, but overall it's just pretty mediocre. I feel like my enthusiasm for the season has definitely died off. I'm not really excited about much with this team anymore. I thought that this year was going to be a lot brighter than it has been, and uh, I mean, it's going to be a strange next couple of weeks. We'll see uh, how the Jets kind of handle things after Monday's press conference with Mark Chipman and Kevin Shovelday off. I expect that Chevy will still remain the Jets GM for the, the, the short term and probably the long term. But I mean, the Jets, they've got a lot of stuff to figure out and they need to do it sooner rather than later. I say that a lot though, so I'm not really expecting anything and I don't think anyone else should either. As they say, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Let me know how you feel about the Jets so far at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets on Twitter. For tonight's podcast, though, that is going to do it. Thanks for making Locked on Jets your first listen of the day every day. Now make your second listen Locked on Fantasy Hockey. Host Scott Conlon leans on his decades of fantasy hockey insight and experience every day to help you be the expert of your fantasy league. It's free and available on all your favorite platforms. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great night and see you later.